Okie dokie. Happy today, whatever today is for you. This is Pastor Joseph and Pastor Jer hanging in there, anchored and devoted in Christ. And looking to love on you with a little bit of encouragement as you um, pilgrim or make this pilgrimage uh, through this season of life. Um, this is for new believers as well as old ones. Uh, but we really are trying to make sure the new believers are grounded and rooted. And today I got to pick the topic. And it's kind of a snowball topic because it can go in many directions. Um, but I wanted to talk about dating and minefields <laughs> or landmine, um, you know, things that you should look for or run from. If you're a believer, especially new believers, and you're trying to date, and this could be in the church, outside the church, um, but things that you should be mindful of. And so I don't know how many things we're going to cover. <laughs> what would you say is one of the main things you, you think people should look out for when they're um, dating and uh, you know, considering marriage or just dating in general? There's a lot. Um, if you had asked me five years ago, I probably would have given a little bit different answer. Today, I'm going to say resilience. Um, okay. And I'm going to start at resilience. It's kind of the low bar. It has nothing to do with their theology, their groundness mm -hmm. in Christ, their sexual past, their history of addictions. It's got nothing to do with any of that. All it has to do with is have they learned how to live as an adult at whatever age they're at appropriately. Um, okay. Our okay. society has really done uh, a poor job of, uh, as, a, as a whole, across the board, uh, regardless of socioeconomical, economic background or religious background or education, none of those factors seem to make any difference here, at least in my observation. Our society has done a really poor job in raising kids into full-fledged adults who are strong enough to handle ups and downs, who are um, resilient enough to move through difficult times without falling apart. I'm not going to say snowflakes. That is not what I'm saying. What I am saying is we haven't equipped a generation or more than a generation now with the ability to find a way to be strengthened that is outside of themselves. We have... So how are they going to find these resilient people? How are they going to find res resilient people? So, what's the expectation that someone gets ready to... Uh, is they're looking for someone to get married, right? They're, they're looking for... Do they have the, they do they have, do they have the money? Do they have a good job? Do they have an education? Do they have an on-ramp to success? Hope they love Jesus. Hope they love Jesus. Now, here, here's the thing. It's really easy to love Jesus in our country. I mean, there's a little bit of pushback here and there, but on the whole, it's really easy to love Jesus. It's really easy to graduate from high school, um, unfortunately. It's really easy to get into college. It's really easy to graduate college. And for the most part, it's really easy to live way beyond your means much longer than you should be able to. So all of these metrics that we can look at and, and evaluate, is this person ready? Are they a good 
choice? Are they a good candidate? Even aside from, are they pretty? Does my heart go pitter-patter? Am I Twitter-pated? All that stuff aside, right? All of these metrics can be very easily fudged. I'd say, the okay, I'll push back on the loved one because I think, and we've talked about this before, the definition is key there. Um, you can You can definitely present that you love Jesus. You can sing in the choir. You can lead the choir. You can teach Sunday school. There's a lot of good things that you can do and not actually be loving Jesus because this is the work side. So you're showing the fruit, but the relationship is what, for me, I look for when a couple comes in. I'm looking to see, are they actually engaging God? And I will agree, it's tough because people put on a good show. I agree. People put on a really good show. Agree. Um, even when it comes to their relationship with Christ, they all of a sudden they're super holy. You know, they missionary to the hilt, and um, you know, blind for everything but the person beside them, and they are the person that's first to run away and find someone else or the attention of someone else. Um, but I, I do think that um, God can give you the eyes to see if you're willing to ask the tough question. Um, and that, that's often what I push on people is, are you willing to pray about this? And can God say no? Um, if God can't say no, then I, I know there's an issue when it comes to your heart to following him. Right. If you are so into self or it's so about self, um, then you're probably blind to some stuff. And that stuff will be seen later. I might not see it in the counseling office. but Yes, you will. Um, it's just going to be called marital <laughs> counseling, not premarital counseling. True. Very, very true. Very, very true. But I think it's, I think resiliency is a huge thing. Um, um, I think um, uh, the ability to um, go through tough stuff together is rare today, which is sad. I agree. Um, for many people, they just want to go through the happy stuff. Mm -hmm. And when it gets tough, divorce is easy. Yep. Um, and having that ability to say that's not on the table for us at the very beginning, knowing that this is a God thing and that's enough for us both is huge. So knowing that divorce is not on the table from the, from the beginning, mm -hmm. that this is a God thing, um, hints at what I would say is at least connected to the first. I think these are all some of the, my highest priority, but What's the reason that the person's looking to get married? Um, and, and couched inside that question is this question. Does either individual and, and hopefully both individual, do they find their primary satisfaction in Christ? Do they find their primary identity in God and in the work that he's doing in their lives and through their lives for his glory, because I again, it's easy to put on a show. It's easy oh, to put on a show without even trying to put on a show because, hey, we're in love. We're putting our best foot forward. We want to do our best for this person. We've been, you know, we've been captured by their beauty, their character, their testimony, their wallet, whatever it might be. And that is strong motivation for us to be our best, not just to put on a face, but to actually be our best. 
and for a time we can be our best and, and we're going to feel ourselves being drawn closer to God, being drawn into his word, being drawn into the fellowship of believers and be blinded to the reality that all of that is actually the cart, not the horse. And whenever that cart, whenever that, what that happening is the cart instead of the horse, you're setting yourself it's, up for, for a failure. It's, it's, Again, definition of love. I so so um, you've said that twice now. Define what you mean by love, because you and I both know that we agree on this. But for for those listening, what do you mean when you say love? When I say love, God loved me enough to send His Son to die for me. That's love. God is the origin, the center, the beginning and end for love. And so that example is one that isn't often seen in the dating process, where people are able to be honest, right? And understand that this is actually loving to be real and know that this is not the time to hide, to deceive. That's not loving, right? Even though you might not mean it, it might not be your intention, but that is the norm. This is how we date as opposed to saying, you know what? I really do believe this is a person God has for me and I'm choosing them just as God chose me to love them. I'm going to love them when I wake up day after day because I've made this promise to do this. Now, that's the marriage side. But before that, I have to decide, okay, is this what God has for me? Am I in tune with him? And that has to do with my loving him, obeying him, being connected and going with his standard, right? If a red flag for me when I see a couple is if one of them isn't working and they're choosing not to work because they've got money. That's a red flag. Okay. Why is that a red flag? That's a red flag because the heart is one where, and we've mentioned this before, work is not sin. Work is not sin. So there should be some engagement with work, um, whether you're paid for or not, it's volunteer, whatever it is, that gives you a sense of connection with a community that is real and challenges you to engage with them spiritually because you're called to be a light. Why am I doing all of this? Because I love God, right? It's easy to be comfortable. I love God, so I'm willing to give up my life because he's given his life in my place. That is love, right? So when I look at couples that are, you know, over the moon for one another and um, they want to get married, you know, right away, They don't want to talk about finances, which is, again, another red flag of one person spending and the other person's, you know, trying to pay off debt and the other one has debt and is happy to continue spending. That's an issue. Why? Because, again, God needs to have the heart and there's an idol there that needs to be addressed prior to marriage. This doesn't mean you can't get married. It just means it needs to be addressed before you get married, because once you do, this is going to get worse. Um, I had a banker friend, one of my best bosses, and I know I've told you this before, and he told me point blank, um, if someone's going to be an idiot before you give them the loan, and he didn't say idiot, he chose another word, before you give them the loan, they're going to be worse even after you marry them by giving them the loan. Um, and the same is true when you're dating. <laughs> if they're an alcoholic and that is their idol and they are willing to leave you in a parking lot because they want to go get lit or whatever. Yep. That's not going to get better right. unless you just prior to the marriage. Right. 
that is what I'm hoping our siblings in Christ will understand is don't lower your standard. If anything, hold to the truth because God has the person for you. And so trusting him over trusting self has to be key when you're looking and trying to date, knowing that he has you. The king of kings, the creator of the world has the person for you. And understand also, it's okay to be single. Like, it's okay. It's not a sin. It's not the end of the world. I know in our Western society, we hype up marriage. But if you're okay with being single, be single. Have fun with it. Love God. Be on fire. Be, you know, sold out to him fully. Don't have the double mind as scripture states that you and I both have to have because we have a bride. Right. Right. It's a beautiful thing both ways whether you're single or whether you're married, there's a beautiful life for both lanes. So I just know for those that are dating, you got to be intentional to love God first. So what you're saying then, tell me if I get this right, is that the, the choice to date, the act of pursuing a romantic relationship towards marriage is something that the believer does as an act of obedient worship to God, mm-hmm. out of his love for God, not mm-hmm. out of a way to receive love, satiation, mm-hmm. fulfillment from another person. Right, and often that doesn't work. Um, you know, that, that expectation that the person will fulfill you, that hole cannot be filled by that person. <laughs> Like it's that's not how this works. It's a God size whole. It's for God. Yeah. This person is to if it's a lady, respect you. If it's a guy, his call is to love you as Christ loved the church. Like there's um sacrifice for both. Uh but it, it it's not this fulfillment that um I get married and the sky opens up and all things are made new and life is now this new harmony that I've been waiting for. No, it's two sinners coming to us, a savior um, and being saved by grace. Uh, Committing to <laughs> wrestle over grenades in sin for the rest of their natural lives. It's buried enough. It's, it's not one of those things. <laughs> Just being real, like it's part of this part of the process. Um, the um, the person you're dating is one where they, Lord willing, are a saint. A um, they're in the process of sanctification. They are being made more in the image of God, moment by moment. But they are not perfect yet, and they need to go to God. And you are not created to be their fixer. There it is. So that, that, that's a huge, that's a huge red flag. When I yes. see the savior complex in either one of the two people sitting across from me, it's a huge red flag because what that tells me as a counselor, as a pastor, this person who is trying to be loving to the partner, to help the partner with their weakness is afraid to let go of what's going on with this relationship and with that other person and let God do what God needs to do. They're afraid to trust God with this person that they're professing to love. But they can spin it. You can spin it as God brought you into the relationship to save them. 
And you can believe it. It doesn't make it true because, again, God can do whatever he wants. Yes, he could use you. It's not likely that he's going to. He's going to use those the person can hear from. And often um, that person, you, the person dating them, is the enabler, not um, the support right. that you think you're giving. Right. Um, there are tons of people that can help professionally that are Christians that will, you know, share Christ as they work through, whether it's workaholism or alcoholism or um, any other substance that you can consume. Uh, that's not your job when you're dating. You can walk alongside of them while they're getting better, but it's not your job to marry them while they're broken like that. Because the, the goal is for you to be equally yoked, not unequally yoked. That shouldn't be the issue in your marriage. Well, I, that concept of being equally yoked, it's really easy to talk about that. In the spiritual sense, Christians are not to marry non-Christians. Mm -hmm. But the concept needs to be expanded, or maybe from a philosophical point of view, to say when two people come together in the covenant of marriage, they're being yoked 100% of the way. From mm -hmm. spiritual to physical to emotional, the entire thing is a yoking process that can only be undone by the curse of divorce. Because of that, any place that you haven't evaluated to say, are we equally yoked here, is a potential place not just for unequal yoking, but unequal yoking means one of you is going to be carrying the weight of the other person in a way that Jesus is supposed to be carrying the weight of that other person. And, and uh, there's, we all have to bear with each other's burdens. We all have to bear with each other in their weaknesses. But mm -hmm. to go into a relationship and not have evaluated those ahead of time and said, this is, I'm aware of this weakness. I'm not going into this blind. I'm not going into this with rose-colored glasses on where I acknowledge it's there, but mm -hmm. I, I, I minimize it in my own mind or I try to, outweigh it in other areas go in and saying lord this is i can be honest as a person who is um self-aware and say here are the areas where i'm weak and if you say yes to me you're saying yes to these weaknesses that frankly i've been trying to do something about but i've been failing for a long time and i don't think it's going to change because i say i do well, then we get to work together, which changes the conversation. Again, I'm not your savior. We're working together Bingo. as siblings and Bingo. to get the better. Yeah. And so you still get the help, but my job is to be a helpmate, to assist, to love, um, you know, to spiritually challenge or, you know, at times. Uh, but it's, it's a different, um, it's a different place that you're putting yourself into. Uh, when it comes to trying to save the person versus them now accepting they need to change yep. and you knowing they're going to change and we are working on this together. So whether it's, um, I know a big thing is uh, gambling. Um, I've had a number of people lately who've had gambling addictions and their spouses found out about it, you know, years into the marriage and um, lots of money has been gone through and the spouse again this is a marriage uh, agrees that okay we're going to get marriage counseling but then you're also going to get counseling for yeah. um, your addiction and 
that works well. That's not for dating because you haven't cemented this before God right. say this is a God thing. We are going to be together for as long as we're on earth together. Right. So, so yeah. throw out another, uh, another red flag. One years. Um, I know for, you know, my college age students, my, uh, even my high school students, one of the biggest things for dating was a week walk um, when it came to Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was a sign of deeper issues. Um, there was a lot of other things I could get okay. I could be okay with, but, um, a, a, a life in Christ that wasn't in Christ or, um, that wasn't, uh, in real relationship, they might right. be able to quote scriptures at me. They might be going to, you know, the youth group or whatever, but yeah. um, the engagement is so light that you're not sure if they're a believer from the way they dress to the way they're engaging um, in uh, physical activities. You're sitting there going, okay, these things are pulling you away from God. So if someone is encouraging you to do things prior to marriage, physically that you know are inappropriate and they're inappropriate to you that's it mm. like that that's it. It, it if you say you don't want to kiss before marriage that's fine that's between really that's between you and god in your heart if you think this is a sin then it will appear it will feel as a sin and be as a sin in your relationship between you and god so don't don't do that just make it clear be open be honest but you know having people Shacking up prior to marriage because they want to give it a test drive and thinking that's going to work out well um, is a huge red flag. I've had seven, mm, yes, seven couples burst in the flames after marriage. All seven were shacking up and know them personally, warned them, don't do this. They chose to. These are believers, you know, years together sometimes a year together but the year before marriage to you even blame COVID. i had the recent one just so you know <laughs> they blame COVID for shacking up um which was interesting because i i threw a flag on that one um <laughs> but uh, the statistics mm-hmm. uh, are very clear mm-hmm. that when you uh, cohabitate before um making the promise before God. Um, there is this huge weight that appears after the marriage and often leads to divorce. Um, I've had ladies leave. And so if you're listening to this, honestly, the last seven, all seven, the ladies left. <laughs> it was wild. I had guys in my office crying. Um, you know, the guy thought it wasn't a good idea to move in and Lady moved in. They lived together. I've even got some of them with kids. I've had ladies leave kids, and that's crazy to me. <laughs> but on the flip side, I know the marriage didn't start off right, and the heart wasn't right. So yes, they stood before God and said, I do. They did that right, but they started it off with so much sin and so much baggage that it you know, walked into the marriage. It was taking over the house. You talked about the statistics you just mentioned briefly, and you, I don't have the statistics, the statistics to quote off the top of my head, but it's not just the 
negative impact for the future marriage. It's also the negative impact on the parent-child relationship that come out of a marriage that starts in cohabitation. Um, you know, for anyone who's listening, I, I would urge you to go and look up statistics on cohabitation, on divorce, and on uh, childhood depression, childhood eating disorders, uh, childhood suicide ideation, and look at the connection between those. What's the guy's name who does all the... Uh, I don't remember his name. Um, oh, I can't remember his name. We'll have to put a little note or something at the end. I don't remember the. It's a group that puts out data on Christians and heathens pretending to be Christians. <laughs> the Barna, the Barna yeah, Research Group. <laughs> you said Christians and heathens pretending to be Christians. That's got to be Barna. <laughs> <laughs> you get a lot one. <laughs> On uh, the cohabitating in the church yep. and statistics, there he does a good job of that. Yep. Um, it might be a little dated by the time you get to it, but I know he had done something a good five, six years ago. Pretty good. Um, what about you? What's the red flag for you? <clears throat> I'll give you another one, but um, I just want to step back and big picture this for a second. As as we've been talking, what I've been hearing is that there's really kind of two pots that these things that we're talking about fall into. One is an internal state of the person. The other is mm -hmm. their external lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And I'm pointing this out because those two things are completely married together. You can't have honey come out of a vinegar jar. Mm -hmm. You're gonna have vinegar come out of a vinegar jar. And the evaluation, you should be looking at the externals as a means to get a glimpse of the internals because the internals are really hard to see. The best you can do is get corroborative evidences, corroborative reports, and try to evaluate and, and sift through. So one of the big ones, really, really big ones for me, from an internal point of view, with an external uh, behavior is, do both people struggle with admitting when they're wrong? Not, not to themselves, admitting to other people when they've been wrong, and then going the next step of you know seeking forgiveness, seeking to make the situation right. A that when I see someone who can't admit they're wrong, that belies a huge insecurity in that person themselves. That says that their value is tied to always getting it right. If I think this is a winner. Like, <laughs> just to be honest, forgiveness is one of the biggest things you have to be good at in marriage. There it is. And if a person can't forgive, and it starts first with um, being able to understand where the wrong took place, and then being able to, you know, understand the issue itself in that moment, like what took place, and um, you know, for the person who's done the wrong repent ask for forgiveness and then the other side being able to forgive if e if any of that gets broken down um it's it can lead to a very unhappy marriage yeah very unhappy but i i i do think that in dating people skip over that though oh absolutely number one in dating when do you really have an, a real opportunity to see the the other person 
really screw something up. Mm. I mean, that's that's what's so difficult about this. And this is where, I mean, forgive me, I'm going to wax a little bit uh, sentimental, um, whatever the word is when you're looking back on something. Mm. Um, there was a there was a strength before the age of mass transit and ease of moving around and technology that makes it easy to connect with someone three states away when the person that I was going to marry was someone who had more than likely grown up within about 30 miles of me such that I probably knew her my family knew her family her family knew my family we knew many of the same people and it wasn't it was it was much more difficult to hide sort of the scars and and uh, stinky armpits of real life uh we have we have almost no ability to see who a person really is unless we're you know one one of the places where you can this is why i think it happens so often is in college when you're attending a school with someone else there are real stresses academic social mm -hmm. emotional spiritual oftentimes that come into play and bring out the less than pretty mm -hmm. and if you're walking through and you're in a dating relationship with someone and they're you're walking through this experience together you're going to see a lot more of who they really are what how they really respond to trial how they really respond when they've screwed up when someone has done them wrong how they're able to forgive how they're able to manage their time their money their emotions whether or not they have stepped into adulthood successfully capable of governing themselves because if bottom line what i'm saying is if you can't govern yourself you have no business putting your baggage onto another person to carry First, learn to govern yourself. Make sure you found someone who's learned to govern themselves, and most importantly, that they're governing themselves under the lordship of Christ. Um, and that's that's a lot harder to do today. Again, unless you're starting in uh, high school or in church or uh, in college. If you're, I think there are a lot of people who are going to be really happy having met on Match.com or any Harmony or something. Okay. I'm not saying that those things are faded because of the lack of opportunities. However, the longer a person goes in their life as an individual, the more calcified they become in their own weaknesses as well as their strengths. And so you and I, we both got married in our late 20s. That means we had, from the time that we were old enough to buy a pack of cigarettes to the time that we got married, we had roughly 10 years or so to develop really strong good habits and really strong bad habits. And our wives had the same opportunity. If we had met them 10 years earlier and married 10 years earlier, we would have had 10 fewer years of digging deep ditches of bad habits. We also would have had 10 fewer years of digging deep ditches of good habits. There, there's, a, there's a give and take there. But the longer that time goes, the harder it is to have two people be able to find a single lane that they can walk in because they've spent so much time digging out their own lane. And it's much more difficult to see that because of how separated our lives really are. And, and 
And the problem is, it seems like cohabitation would be a good way to find out those things. Unfortunately, yeah. it backfires on everyone, so it doesn't work. A dating app or something, call it crucible.com. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, man. 12 weeks, 16 weeks of going to uh, some kind of relationship boot camp. Oh, no, we'd have to do like family backgrounds and whatnot, like interview your friends yes. from high school. Do college. you make your bed? Do you brush your teeth? Huh. Do you clear your dishes from the table or do you expect that someone else is going to do that for you? Yeah. Can you share a time when you failed and it was a horrible failure and how did you bounce back? <laughs> or who helped you bounce back? <laughs> and, hey. and what did you learn from when you did not bounce back? So that the next time you were able to bounce back uh, with more speed and agility. Um, but, I mean, because that 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 goes to the resilience. It does. As well, I mean, can you forgive yourself? Can you forgive others? Can you, you know, really get to that place of understanding self, um, so that you don't take yourself so seriously? Mm -hmm. You know, and that, that allows you to work on your hang up um, and be open with others to work on them because you don't take yourself. Marriage is really, really tough. Marriage, yes. marriage is really tough. And it, it takes a long well. time for marriage to get good. If you want to do a good marriage, it's tough. If you want a horrible marriage, that's that easy. Is, that's, that's, like your, that's very easy. <laughs> that's very easy. If, if you haven't learned how to or if your partner hasn't learned how to, if they haven't already overcome in areas of their lives, pushed through the hard times, felt what it feels like to be exhausted, to be past your limit and still required to continue going. If they haven't done that, they haven't been tested, they're not ready for marriage. It mm -hmm. hasn't happened to you, you're not ready for marriage. And there are a lot of different ways that a person can be tested and and still overcome and still not be ready. I'll throw one more out there. We're already running you know, mm -hmm. along here, but um, sexual abuse uh, is, a, is a huge red flag, not because it means don't go. That's all right. There's two kinds of sexual abuse. There's sexual abuse that is received, mm -hmm. sexual abuse done to you, and there's sexual abuse that you have done to others. Correct. The second one, that needs to be a, a hard pass. God can forgive, God can work on people, but unless there's been a long history of demonstration of how God has changed a person and how they mm -hmm. have made their lives, how, they, how they've built their lives to protect everyone around them from their mm -hmm. sin, that's a hard pass. And, and, they're, and they're, honestly, it's not a hidden thing. Um, for both of these, the hiding is one of those things where if it hasn't been addressed, again, counseling. Yeah, it's, just, it's a ticking time bomb. Accountability, um, you know, time in God's word. Like if it hasn't been addressed, that's a huge, huge issue. Yeah. Either one. If it's been addressed, it's being um, managed appropriately. We can talk about it. It's still not a green light. But we can talk about it because there are things that God can do out of that brokenness. Absolutely. But now you have to go in with your eyes wide open. Absolutely. Where it's more of a calling than just a, oh yeah, it's like anything else we talked about and we're fine. No, 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 no. 
No, 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 no. This has changed. It has changed life for this individual uh, drastically. So that everything is tinted mm-hmm. um, by what has occurred, whether they were abused or they are or have abused others in the past. Two different lanes, but understand th- those are um, potentially very dangerous um, spaces and places to be. It's, I mean, if you've got someone, I mean, it's kind of hitting on an anger issue, um, narcissistic ten- tendencies, we're getting into the counseling world here, but you've, you've got that self-centeredness where yeah. um, all everything looks too polished. It's too clean. The person's not willing to be open and honest with you. That to me is a, a huge danger sign because you're going to get behind the curtain. You're going to see the Wizard of Oz and it's not going to be the same thing that was presented to you. And if their identity is wrapped up in those things, you typically catch the wrath of that yep. as their yep. because you can see behind the curtain and others. Yeah, that um, the the Emperor's new clothes, the end of that story is not and the two guys that built the that made these invisible clothes got kicked out of the country or killed. The end of that story is the emperor looked over at that kid, looked sideways at his guards, and the kid was killed. Because the one thing that all of us are most impulsively protecting is all those areas that bring us shame. Whether it's anger or narcissism. Uh, Another one here that I would throw in to help you identify narcissism is a person who uh, isn't able to be taught anything. They, they are yeah. the smartest person they know, and, and they'll ask questions, test us, listen to them ask a question, and then listen to see if they wait for an answer, how they listen to that answer. Are they asking a question just to get you to put your cards on the table, to evaluate what you're saying? Are they asking a question to find things out, to be able to interact with? If a person can't be taught, if a person thinks they know, they, they, they already know everything they need to know about what it takes to be in a successful relationship, what it takes to be a successful spouse, parent. Do yourself a favor, save yourself a lot of heartache, save your kids a lot of heartache and pain. Just pass on that, wait for someone who has already uh, learned to walk in humility. Yep. Again, God's got you. But I don't, I don't feel like you have to take whatever fish comes by. See, that's that's probably where we need to land this thing is we've talked a lot about the flags and the signs and when you need to hit the eject. But at the end of the day, you and I have both been married for 10 plus years now. Mm-hmm. We've been through ups, we've been through downs. We're committed to our spouses. Our spouses are committed to us. We are all four of us works in project. It works in progress. There are things that we don't like about ourselves. There are things we mm-hmm. wish were different about each other. Mm-hmm. And it is at times really difficult to know how to, and to be able to love our spouse in the midst of real life. Nevertheless, this all started with your definition of love, which is rock solid. God first loved us. God first gave up his son his son gave up his life and then gave his inheritance to us, his wealth to us. And he did mm-hmm. so to redeem us and to restore us. And that means even if you have 
just blown past all these red flags, jumped into marriage, jumped into bed, then jumped into marriage with the first hot thing that came along. And now you're a few years down the road and you're looking back and you're realizing that, you know, that apple pie wasn't fully cooked. God has not abandoned you. God's not looking at you and saying, well, you know what? You made your bed sleeping on. God is still at work in you, in your marriage, to purify you, to purify your spouse, and to bring about an example of his glory and strength. And that, that's, that's my encouragement. Look hard. Before you buy, look hard. Make sure you have kicked the tires. Make sure you've, the odometer hasn't been rolled back. But once you buy that thing, even if it's a lemon, God is a fantastic mechanic. I mean, he's an amazing mechanic. And he is able to do much better than you will ever have thought you deserved. Amen. Amen. Okay, I think that's it. That was fun. Go have a blessed day. 